Hey everybody, how's it going? This is Hub, and welcome back to another episode of Tighten Up the Defense, a podcast that would likely benefit from a tagline. As I believe I just mentioned, my name is Hub, and I hope you're having a fine whenever the heck it is you end up listening to this. It's October as I'm recording this, which is one of my favorite months, I would have to say. As we all know, the month is called October because the ancient Romans named it after their appreciation of octopuses, which, good for them. I know it's kind of confusing for some people because it does come right after September, which is also named after the Romans' appreciation of cephalopods. It was originally cephalopod timber. And I agree, it does seem a little bit weird that of the original 10 months on the Roman calendar, two of them were named after octopuses. I, As I said, I agree, that doesn't seem like nearly enough. And of course, the angry octopus gods agreed and did rise up against the ancient Romans until Julius Caesar introduced the Julian calendar, which renamed the month Quintus, which had previously been named after the octopus hunter Quint, after himself, July, and introduced two new months at the beginning of the year, January and February, which were named after his octopus friends Jan and Ferb. And the calendar stayed that way until the institution of the Gregorian calendar, which, no, was not named after an octopus named Gregor. It was named after Gregor Mendel, the father of genetics, in celebration of the fact that octopuses are the most genetically advanced species. Obviously. Anyway, I like October and month names are stupid. Without any further ado, let's uh do this. Today's synopsis rhyme is submitted by Cecilia Hudson. Garfield Logan is a creeper, that's why he's never been kissed. Will he learn some freaking boundaries? Find out in the synopsis. No. No, he won't. Thanks, Cecilia. Tales of the Teen Titans, number 43. June, 1984. The Judas Contract, Book 2, Betrayal. Written by Marv Wolfman, drotted by George Perez, inked by Dick Giordano and Mike DiCarlo, colored by Adrian Roy, lettered by Ben Oda, and edited by Marv Wolfman and George Perez. Teen Titan Roll Call, Dick, Wonder Girl, Starfire, Cyborg, Beast Boy, Raven, and Terra. Only not really Terra. Probably. Previously in Tales of the Teen Titans. Years ago, in one of their earliest adventures, the new Teen Titans ran afoul of an evil organization named Hive, the Hierarchy for International Vengeance and Eliminations, which, despite what their acronym would imply, was not solely dedicated to ranking spicy poops. The terrible acronym Havers hired an aspiring young hitman named the Ravager, souped him up with some superpowers, and told him to assassinate our adolescent adventurers. During his attempt to do in the do-gooders, the Ravager mismanaged his newly augmented abilities and met his own demise. Bummer. Sort of. The Ravager's dad, Slade Wilson, a.k.a. Deathstroke the Terminator, a superpowered assassin who uses 90% of his brain but only 50% of his eyeballs, agreed to honor his son's commitment to terminate our titular teenagers. In more recent Titan news, the team encountered a brash young earthbending orphan named Terra, and after months of fighting alongside her, asked the terraforming teenager to join up as an official Teen Titan. 
Terra eagerly accepted, but unbeknownst to our heroes, the Titan's most recent recruit was secretly a double agent who was working with Deathstroke to betray the Titans from within. Raven sensed duplicity from the diminutive dirt distributor, but her empathic powers had been on the fritz lately on account of the fact that her demonic father had taken up residence in the tummy of her bird-shaped soul avatar, so she decided not to voice her concerns. Meanwhile, Dick Grayson, aka Robin, decided that he was tired of living in the Batman shadow and would no longer like to be aka Robin. Until he selected a suitable pseudonym, the aerialist formerly known as Robin would currently be known as Dick. Terra continued to gather information on Deathstroke's behalf as the perilous pair finalized their final plans. But, unbeknownst to the depth perception deficient Death Dealer and his perfidious protege, the Titans weren't the only ones being spied on. A mysterious brunette lady and her blonde-haired partner were secretly monitoring Slade and Terra's every move. Gadzooks! Will Terra really betray her teammates? Is there no depth to which the false-faced firmament flinger will not sink? And when will Dick decide on his new nom de guerre? Stay tuned to find out. Okay, so... Yup? Well, last issue she smooched Beast Boy, so I think that's a definitive no. And next issue. Until then, I hope you like Dick, because that's what you're getting. Wait, that's... never mind. Dick Grayson is chilling in his apartment, working on his typewriter like it was the end of a Stephen J. Cannell production. Unfortunately, before Dick gets the chance to toss the piece of paper over his shoulder and have it curl up into a C, Deathstroke the Terminator busts in through his picture window and starts beating the tar out of him. Oh shit! As he pummels the alias-free acrobat, Slade Wilson tells his young adversary that his contract with Hive is to deliver the Teen Titans to the spicy poop rankers, dead or alive. He'd prefer alive but it isn't a particularly strong preference, so it would probably be in Dick's best interest to just give up. Dick feels otherwise. Physically overmatched and disoriented at being attacked in his secret, which I guess is now his only, identity, the stripling super sleuth makes a desperate ploy to escape. He maneuvers the melee to be closer to the window that Slade had Kool-Aid manned his way through, and then defenestrates himself from the fourth floor apartment. Our plummeting protagonist manages to slow his descent slightly by catching his leather jacket on a window guard as he falls. He lands in a big pile of garbage because, hey, it's New York, and is bruised and battered, but not too seriously injured. With Deathstroke in hot pursuit, Dick manages to limp his way to nearby Central Park and lose the super assassin in a crowd of civilians. As he fruitlessly searches for his crime-fighting quarry, the augmented assassin chastises himself for getting sloppy, pontificating that perhaps his uncharacteristic lapse in judgment is due to the fact that he doesn't fully trust his partner Terra. Guess they should have gone to the Grand Canyon together for some team-building activities and exchanged origin stories while they stared off into the middle distance. Worked for the Teen Titans. Although maybe staring off into the middle distance requires binocular vision, and Slade was worried that he'd end up staring off into the foreground and accidentally start speculating pensively about his future instead of reminiscing wistfully about his past. That's probably it. They still could have done some trust falls, though. Eventually, Deathstroke stops searching Central Park looking for Dick, probably figuring that he'll have an easier time finding Dick if he comes back to the park at night. Slade leaps off. Dick, who had literally been hiding behind a tree like he was a trio of cartoon ducks, breathes a sigh of relief and activates his Titan distress signal. When no one replies, he gets worried 
and limps to Wonder Girl and Starfire's nearby apartment in search of answers. He arrives at the swanky penthouse suite that Donna and Coriander share and finds that it is absolutely wrecked. There are giant gaping holes in two of the exterior walls, the door has been shattered, and most of the furniture has been destroyed. Looks like either a bomb went off or the girls threw a type of teenage party that you see in a John Hughes movie. Sifting through the rubble, he finds a note that appears to have been attached to a gift sent by him. Only, he didn't send Starfire any presents. I mean, unless you consider mixed signals a present. As Dick puzzles out what probably happened, we're shown a flashback of what definitely happened. The doorbell rang, and Coriander went to answer it. She found a box with a bow on it and a card claiming that the box contained a present from Dick. When the unsuspecting space princess opened the purported present, it released a jolt of pure energy that surged through her and knocked her unconscious. Shitty. But that doesn't really explain why the place is trashed. I mean, it says that she all but exploded from the painful pulsating power. That means there wasn't an actual explosion. Oh, wait, there it is. Her fingers went numb. Her hair stiffened. Okay, given the sheer volume of her magical space fire hair, her hair stiffening would totally explain the holes in the wall. Hell, I'm surprised the rest of the building is still standing. Dick pieces together what happened to Starfire, but can find no signs of Wonder Girl, so he heads down to her photography studio to look for her there. He checks the darkroom for any signs of foul play. At first, things look normal, but on closer examination, he finds that a bottle of one of the chemicals Donnie uses to develop her photographs has been switched for alcohol. Dick determines, and a flashback confirms, that Deathstroke surreptitiously substituted the developer for alcohol, so that when Donna combined it with the other chemicals, it would create a cloud of ether that would render the Amazonian adventurer unconscious. Sneaky move, Slade. Dick is beginning to believe that the monocular maniac has completed the capturing of his crime-fighting cohort, but continues his quest to confirm the kidnappings. To that end, he goes to Cyborg's apartment. He finds that Deathstroke rigged a chair to electrocute the mostly metal Marvel, while Vic reread a telegram from his globetrotting grandparents, informing him of an impending visit. At this point, Dick is pretty sure that he's the only one of his teammates to escape the clutches of the souped-up super assassin, but he decides to head to the Titan's T-shaped skyscraper headquarters to check on Raven and Terra. When he arrives at the Titan Tower, he is dismayed, but unsurprised, to find that his co-workers are missing and that there are signs of a struggle. In the building's atrium, he finds a big old column of dirt. At first, he is heartened by the idea that at least Terra put up a fight, but he is soon disabused of this notion by two uninvited guests who appear behind him in the tower. It's that brunette lady and the blonde-haired kid who have been spying on Deathstroke and Terra. The lady introduces herself as Adeline and says that the blonde guy is named Joseph and is her son. Joseph doesn't say shit, but he has a sweet set of mutton chops that do the talking for him. And what they say is, Hey! Check out this sweet set of blonde mutton chops. What Adeline has to say is arguably an even more important piece of information. She informs Dick that Terra is a traitor, and almost certainly the one responsible for ambushing Raven and delivering the Azerathian empath to Deathstroke. Dick is skeptical and doesn't want to believe that Terra could have betrayed the Titans, but a flashback confirms to us readers that that is exactly what happened. Having personally visited and inspected the residences of the rest of his missing chums, Dick decides to take appropriate actions that indicate the degree of friendship and respect he holds for Beast Boy. He places a phone call to Gar Logan's substitute butler. Probably collect. 
The temp worker who answers the phone sends a maid in to find the verdant vigilante. She's hesitant to enter the Emerald Adolescent's room, because apparently he has a habit of turning himself into various animals and chasing and groping her against her will. Fucking seriously, Gar? Man, what an absolute piece of crap. The harried housekeeper is relieved that Gar is nowhere to be found. Yet another flashback shows us that the shit-for-brains shapeshifter received a request from his fictitious fan club for a stack of signed pictures. Flattered, the animal-appearance-assuming asshole autographed about a hundred of the photos of himself he had lying around and sealed each one in an envelope. Unfortunately for the furry fuckwit, Deathstroke had visited the room earlier and swapped Gar's normal envelopes out for ones that the enhanced assassin had apparently purchased at the same store where George Costanza had purchased his wedding invitations. Which is to say that the envelope glue was poisoned. After spending an afternoon obliviously licking poison to satisfy imaginary well-wishers, Beast Boy eventually passed out. At which point, Slade Wilson showed up to talk some shit to the unconscious teen before carting his body back to his headquarters. You know what? Hooray! The substitute butler informs Dick that Gar isn't home right now, figuring that a 20-second phone call is about as much due diligence as the presumed missing Mr. Logan is owed, Dick is finally ready to accept the fact that Adeline and Joseph are probably right about Tara being a traitor. He asks the surprisingly well-informed interlopers how they know so much about Deathstroke. Adeline replies dramatically that Slade Wilson is her ex-husband. Then we get an epilogue where Deathstroke delivers the captured Teen Titans to Hive headquarters, declaring as he does so that the contract he accepted on behalf of his deceased son has now been completed. Wait, it has? He didn't catch Dick yet. So, the terms of the contract were for him to deliver five of the 16 Titans, or I guess maybe five of the seven, seeing as Kid Flash was still part of the team when the contract was taken up and that the teens are to be delivered either alive or not alive. Man, they really should have run the wording on that contract by somebody. You'd think an evil international organization would have at least one lawyer as a member. And joining us once again is my good-for-many-things brother, Corey. Corey, how are you doing? I am well. How are you? I am also well. Good. So... What'd you think of this comic? Yay! So good! Yeah. So good. I have been hearing the hype about the Judas contract forever, and the first issue I thought was fine, but was very much a setting the table episode. And man, once we get into this story, I was metaphorically on the edge of my seat the entire read. Off to the races. Really good. Yep. Yeah, drops you right into the middle of the action, and really fun, really exciting, feels like a big deal mm -hmm. which is nice and uh yeah good stuff yeah we don't often i feel get to see heroes taken down as a group like this really surprised taken out of their element betrayed indeed i mean only one of them really succumbs to betrayal in this episode yeah i know instead of betrayed it should have been called something like fooled or bamboozled yeah or just uh efficiented yeah good job tara Good job, Deathstroke. Yeah, I guess the both. Yeah, they they make a formidable team. Mm, although he has his concerns. He certainly does. And it seems well-placed. 
It's really confusing. He says that he doesn't understand what her motivation is, other than, well, I guess she's just crazy, which seems pretty dismissive. I assumed he had been paying her. Also, not like a good uh, business plan is probably not the right word for like your criminal plan, I guess. Yeah, I think it's still a business. It's, yeah. it's okay. his business to be a criminal and business is good. Yeah. So then if part of your plan is like, okay, hire a crazy person that can move the earth. Yeah. What could go wrong? You know, it, it's somebody that, yeah, he doesn't trust that he finds unstable, but he put all of his trust and a huge amount of his plan in her. Seems like an odd choice. It's too bad we don't have a uh, just gotta be a sucker for this show because it really seems out of line with Slade Wilson's careful planning of everything. Okay, there are a few things that seem out of line. Let's just let's just dive in and, and get to Deathstroke and his plan. What is going on, Mr. Wilson? Oh, that makes it sound like his foil should be Dennis the Menace. <laughs> I bet that would really annoy him. They should all call him Mr. Wilson. Mm-hmm. That'd show him. But, okay, he has this elaborate plan for each of the Titans. Mm -hmm. Donna, he switches the developer with alcohol so that it creates a poisonous gas that knocks her out. That's pretty fucking smart. Very clever. He rigs Cyborg's chair with Prometheum bonds that, and so that he's held in place and then shoots an electrical shock through him. Very complicated. Very complicated, but very clever. Also, it seems like if you're going to shoot the electric shock, you kind of don't need to hold him in place if he's already just sitting down. Why not just have it go electric? Yeah, when I was a kid, I once grabbed an electric fence and I couldn't let go of it for a moment. It was terrifying. That happened to me. I was changing a light, like there was a broken light bulb and I was trying to get the broken light bulb part out of the light socket mm. and my thumb got stuck in it and I was like, I couldn't move until I fell off of the ladder. Oh, God. Yeah. Could you feel the electricity going like, yep. down your arm? Yep. Yeah, I got that with the fence, too. I did not care for it. No. Oh, God. Poor cyborg. That must have been awful. Must have really sucked for him. But also, he didn't need to be held in place. Like, if it's a big enough jolt, it's all of a sudden to incapacitate him. But still, hey, you got the Prometheum. You may as well use it. You got chair engineers. Might as well use your chair engineers. Exactly. So, Deathstroke, good for the economy. You get... Beast Boy, which was my favorite plan for taking somebody down, in a move right out of Seinfeld, he poisoned the envelope glue and appealed to his vanity and told him, you've got a lot of fans that all want your letter. And here's a stack of envelopes. And he just licked them all. Like he had been getting increasingly drowsier and drowsier and loopier. But then on the very last one, as he's passing out, he says, oh, I bet these things are drugged. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Fucking idiot. But very clever plan on Deathstroke's part. Death by Ego. Uh-huh. Or Capture. He sends Starfire a present from Dick that then has an explodey bit that overcharges her energy absorption powers. Mm -hmm. So, like, he's got all of these elaborate plans. He has Terra take out Raven, but has been building up to that and has a reason why she'll be taken off guard with it. And then for the final one, when he goes to capture Robin, he's just like, Oh, shit, I used up all my clever plans. I'll just Kool-Aid man my way through his window and beat him up. Mm -hmm. Seems like an odd choice at that point. Like, if he had put any thought into capturing Robin, Robin would have been taken completely off guard. That whole first page left some questions for me. Okay, was one of them, what is he typing on that typewriter? I will add it to my list. Okay. My two main questions were, one... How does he Kool-Aid man his way through that window without making a sound? There's no sound effect whatsoever, and there's glass flying everywhere. <laughs> it looked very noisy. Mm -hmm. Second of all, Robin thinks to himself some thoughts, 
And then Deathstroke answers those thoughts. <laughs> well, he uses 90% of his brain. So I think probably 3% of that is telepathy. My notes for that page were, is Deathstroke a quiet psychic? <laughs> I think possibly. Yeah, because Dick thinks, Terminator, he can't know who I am. Yet it's obvious he does. And Terminator responds to that thought by saying, come on, kid, don't play dumb. We both know who you are. Or should I say was? Is that was as in has been? Mm. So amongst his many powers and amongst his 90% of his brain that he is using and his new powers of inexplicable quietude and potential telepathy, he does not have any kind of a grammar guide. Because when he, it drove me absolutely crazy when he says, we both know who you are, or should I say was? No, you should say were. You definitely should not say was. I know who you was? Mm. What is he, Popeye? It drives me nuts when people forget to put question marks where question marks belong. Mm, that too. So maybe if he just used 80% of his brain and... 10% reserved for punctuation and grammar. And 100% of a style guide. Mm. Like, <laughs> that would be so much preferable to what he is doing. Needs to get himself some shrunken white. What is the... Uh, yeah, I think it's strunk. Strunk and white. Yeah, strunk and white. Yeah, strunk and white's elements of style. Yes. Yes, he should do his 100% of that and maybe just 75% of his brain. That's still a pretty high percentage. That would be the smart thing to do. Mm-hmm. Incidentally, I started a new feature that we're going to start doing, I think. I did a mebby count on this. Yeah, that's weird to me that Deathstroke speaks in so many mebbies. Yeah, the mebby just seems to float between different characters. Like it's some kind of an infection that they get. But yeah, this is a two mebby issue. Uh, but both of those mebbies come from Deathstroke, which was confusing. It doesn't seem like that would be in his normal mode of speech. Normally we get the mebbies from Terra. Sometimes we get them from Cyborg. But yeah, there's just a case of the Mebbies going around, and I guess Deathstroke's got them. Yeah, I think uh, Terra's rubbing off on him. Gross. Oh. So I gotta say, we were talking about just the fact that this is a really good issue. Wolfman does a great job writing Detective Dick, and that's what the majority of this issue is. And that means that I think two of my favorite three New Teen Titans issues are Detective Dick, I gotta say. Because this issue is right up there. Mm -hmm. I would say it's this one. It's number 38 with uh, Who Is Donna Troy was really, really good. Mm -hmm. And the uh, number eight, the uh, Day in the Life one. And so of those three, two of them got Detective Dick doing his thing. And it's nice to see some direction for that character. And it comes off really well. It's in his wheelhouse. Mm -hmm. He was trained by the best. Uh-huh. Even if it means giving up a $300 leather jacket. Man, that was some gumption it took. I think that I would not be a good superhero because if Deathstroke the Terminator crashed in through my window, I wouldn't jump back out that window to save my life. I'd just probably No, not if it like, meant giving up a $300 leather jacket. I wouldn't even occurred to me to try and like, Shred use that the jacket to, to slow your fall. No, I would have just been like, oh, this is the part where I die. Yeah, fair or enough. I get captured or whatever. Sorry. What? It's like, I'm a regular powered dude. Yeah, you are. Yeah, I can't. You're a real, you're a real Robin. I can't compete <laughs> with uh, ninety, Mister Ninety Percent, Strunk and White, whatever. Well, I think it maybe would have given him a little bit more confidence when he saw that Deathstroke was using shitty grammar, because he's like, "Aha, a chink in the armor. Maybe mm. I can match him on some level." 
It was very clever what Dick did to escape. Yeah, tricks him into, he's like, I know if I try to jump out the window, he'll intercept me. So I'll trick him into hitting me and knocking me near the window, and then away I go. And the way that is drawn, he looks really injured. Like yeah. when he goes out the window, his limbs are all just yeah. flapping like a ragdoll. Mm-hmm. Right out the window. Yep. And then as he is falling, he makes note of the fact that, well, I hate to sacrifice this $300 jacket, but here I go. Cuts a thing. long fall. It's a very long fall. It's also interesting that, okay, $300 in 1984 money, that's a very expensive leather jacket. But at the same time, he has been adopted by Bruce Wayne and has been like a billionaire for the last 10 years of his life. I thought that actually was in character that he would still think about how much that jacket cost and about sacrificing it in the way that it is because he was raised poor. He was raised like traveling circus folks. And yes, he came into money, but it kind of reminded me of my grandparents grew up during the Depression and my grandfather was the middle of like nine children. He grew up in the Arabic ghetto in Boston. He became a doctor and was pretty well off, but he and my grandmother always kept like tons of cans in the basement because you never know mm -hmm. like you never let go of that like kind of food insecurity and also just like monetary insecurity and there's kind of an ingrained frugality that i think you get even if you do come into money later and i thought that kind of kind of worked for dick mm -hmm. i think it was a really good character building issue for him yeah i wonder if also like other folks that survived the depression and then did well later also like like my grandparents on my dad's side just feed people way too much mashed potatoes and other food <laughs> probably i remember I as a kid having to like cover the plate and be like no it hurts <laughs> like my stomach I can't, I can't handle it oh sure you can i bet that the titan tower is just fucking stocked with canned goods mm -hmm. yeah probably those uh the canned french's onions oh those are yep mm -hmm. cases of yoohoo my grandparents didn't have cases of Yoohoo. No, I was just thinking those the eighties and, oh, and yeah. that's probably what these these crazy kids were into. You think? It seems pretty tight. I mean it's no free soda, but Yeah. No such thing as a what free soda. What the fuck soda. was Yoohoo? Was it just chocolate milk or it was some weird? I think it was thing. like carbonated chocolate milk. I, I don't I think it's still a thing. Is it? I remember it as a kid being excited. You think it's chocolate grossed. milk. But it's watered down Yoohoo. Mm. It's like when you got the booming system, but it's pumping out doo doo. Yeah, it is like that. Mm-hmm. Mm. Mm -hmm. So, what do you think of Adeline and Joseph? We finally find out who the blonde-haired man at the end of the last issue was. Yeah, so I had a question about his parentage. Is he also the son of the Terminator, or is he from I a different I think it's marriage? pretty heavily implied. Because hmm. we saw that Deathstroke was looking at the photograph of his two blonde sons. Mm -hmm. and we know that one of them, Grant the Ravager died mm -hmm. and there's another blonde-headed kid who is palling around with deathstroke's ex-wife so who is his mom so i think it's safe to extrapolate that joseph is probably deathstroke's kid man so he must have been a pretty lousy dad for his kid to be trying to well, actually we don't really know if they're if his ex is trying to do good or ill by the titans do we i mean she looks like she's trying to help out the titans she has, I believe, stated that she wants to take down Slade, but she feels bad for him. Mm -hmm. So I wonder if the kid is like, what's his deal? What's his angle? I don't know. So many questions. Indeed. I hope they get answered soon. Me too. Mm. What 
mutton chops. Those are some crazy mutton chops he's, he's got. He's got a very distinct look. Yeah. It's goofy. Blonde perm and mutton chops. Goofy look. Distinct. Distinctly goofy. So we talked about how Dick goes and investigates each of the crime scenes. Methodically. Yes. Methodically investigates each of the crime scenes of the disappearance of his friends. Except Beast Boy. <laughs> All of the other ones he goes and is like, I'll find out what happens and I'll explore the scene and I'll look for clues and I'll look for evidence. And then he just calls Beast Boy's house and asks if he's home. And when he's not, it's like, well, then he's probably kidnapped. <laughs> it's far away. It's far away. And more importantly, it's Beast Boy. Speaking of which, what a piece of shit. Oh my God. We're 43 issues into this series. He started off being a piece of shit. How is it that 43 issues later, he has found a way to consistently get worse? It bugs me. It bugs me when he creeps on Terra, even though she's either pretending to like him or does like him or whatever. But No, that that is definitely creepy also. But in this issue, it really starts to paint a picture of him as not just a sexual harasser, but as a predator. Yeah. And that it's being enabled by this, his entire family structure around him. Like, I wrote down in my notes, man, fuck Gar Logan, fuck his stepdad, fuck Questor, fuck the people that keep fucking, it seems like just feeding new maids to him. Or to, tutors to have or him. whatever. Yeah, yeah, to just keeps hiring people and putting them in a position where he gropes and fondles them and turns into various animals and chases them around. And we see that this this maid is really uncomfortable by it, doesn't want to go through with this, like doesn't want to go into his room, doesn't want to be alone with him, but she needs the job. And it's shitty, and it's especially shitty that it's done in a way that I think is supposed to be like a source of humor. That's that was one part I really didn't like in the writing of this because she she does make a quip in there about oh I should have listened to my mom and become an exotic dancer like being objectified in that way would be better than yeah what I have which, to do I mean, this job which is fine and is fair but the way that it was written that it was supposed to be like either supposed to be like oh it's okay that this is happening to her because this is what her character is or that it's isn't that funny what he's doing to That's, these women that that was what i how i read it was yeah written that way and that was what part of what really bugged me it's me. fucking gross and then when he is signing the autographs for his fictional fan club he's like you're 16 right it's just he's a fucking creep and i'm so sick of it and especially there's just been no growth in his character when destro killed him the last time it was supposed to be this big thing where, oh, he came back from the dead and he struggled and he overcame and he tracked down the people who killed his parents or his adopted parents and he got vengeance against them and realized that killing was wrong and now he's not insecure anymore. Oh, except for he is. And he's the same goddamn piece of shit he was before. Yep. I do like how dismissive of him Deathstroke is. Mm. That's fun. Mm-hmm. And I frankly liked how dismissive of him Dick was, kind of. Just like, oh, I'll track down and investigate all of my friend's disappearance. And I guess I'll make a quick phone call to Beast Boy, too. I'll call the butler. I'll, I'll call the butler. You haven't seen him? Yeah, okay. Done. Yeah. Yeah. It was also very satisfying to me that when he succumbed to the tranquilizer or poison or whatever it was, 
I think he hit his head pretty hard on the desk because it makes this thunk noise. It makes a pretty loud thunk noise. And also, as he is licking the stamps, he looks so fucking high. Mm-hmm. When I saw that panel, I, I said, ha, that's what you get. Yeah. <laughs> sitting by myself, thankfully, reading. Other kidnap things. I think, frankly, it should have been a warning to Starfire that she received a present from Dick. He's generally been, I think, pretty withholding with his affection. Well, she was so freaked out, she started crying. Like, yeah. yeah. Just without seeing what it was. Just the fact that yeah, he th- The fact think that he enough. thought of her and yeah. got her a present, not that it was a thoughtful gift or what the present was. Yeah, made her start to tear up. She was so freaked out, she didn't catch the telltale vibrations. Although she felt the package tingle as she undid the wrapping, Coriander ignored the telltale warning. So, if you ever get a gift and it's tingly, get the fuck out. Yeah, your boyfriend didn't send you a tingler. (laughs) It's Deathstroke. Oh, no. Every goddamn time. Oh, what a (laughs) jerk. When he kidnaps Donna, Dick says, well, she's so much stronger than Deathstroke. He never could have taken her. There's no way he could have snuck up on her. Why is there no way he could have snuck up on her? We've seen that he's very quiet. He can silently burst through a picture window. Or just make a trap. Yeah, which he did. No, I mean like a more elaborate trap, like a door that says, don't go in here. Oh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Very susceptible to traps, the Titans are. Yes, that's my point. Yeah, I don't know. Robin just, I think he thinks very highly of he, Donna. And, he clearly and, and, does. And, and that's why he thinks she cannot be snuck up upon. Maybe he tried to sneak up on her once and she was like, ah, and, like, and he's popped like, him in the well, face. Well, then can't be done. Right? <laughs> I can't do it. Clearly nobody can. That makes the most sense, I think. Mm-hmm. We see that when he trapped Cyborg, Cyborg was distracted because his grandparents are going to be visiting soon. In the last issue, he described them as unkillable monsters who would give Draculas a run for their money and stuff. And he seemed really freaked out by them. And I got the impression that they were like, uptight and controlling monsters. Did you get that impression? I did until he said... And then in this issue... <laughs> they're not grandparents, they're globetrotters. And that made me think, are his grandparents Curly Neal, Meadowlark Lemon, or possibly Goose Tatum? Or maybe a Showbiz Jackson? It could be. It could be. I love the Harlem Globetrotters, but I can also see how they might be frustrating as grandparents. Like... Oh, he's Grandma like... Meadowlark Lemon takes a f- tray of fresh-baked cookies out of the oven, and you reach for one, and then she throws them in your face, and they're confetti. Oh. <laughs> they give you Christmas presents, but they just keep passing them around over your head and playing keep-away with them. Mm-hmm. Grandpa Curly Neal keeps dribbling the present between his legs, and you can't get at it. Yeah, uh-huh. They don't make eye contact, but then they just throw it right into the garbage bin. Oh, boy, every time. Oh. And you can't slam dunk with a ladder? That's cheating! Well, tell that to my grandparents. Oh, boy. They're not grandparents. They're globetrotters. <laughs> yeah, I had some fun with that idea as well. <laughs> Man, we have been doing this for too long. Maybe. But yeah, you do get the impression more with his description of them in this, that they're more capricious than they are necessarily uptight, which had been the impression I had gotten before. Because in this, he says that they ended the telegram with, see ya, kid, like they had seen him last week. But they haven't seen him in years. Not since he was a kid. Yeah. No, I think it's more of a, 
abandony, not carry kind of menace than a controlly menace. Right, more of a like uh, Auntie Mame types. Hmm? Oh, Auntie Mame, it's a play. I'm not big on the theater. Okay, fair enough. I actually like plays when I go to plays. I just yeah. don't know much about about plays. Fair enough. Haven't had a lot of occasion. We went and saw Newsies together. Uh, musicals, I do not care for. I, I, know, I did I that know. because We've you're my brother that. and that I love you. That was very kind of you. Thank you. And Wicked. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's too. two. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Corey. You're a good brother. <laughs> the thing that made seeing Wicked worth it was when I farted down the old ladies. Oh, it wasn't on them. That sounds yeah. malicious. You that's were, right. You were near wasn't. them. But they found it very distasteful. <laughs> and the look on their faces and then you shrugging was maybe one of the funniest things I've seen in my whole life. Ah. So thank you. Hey, I'm here to help. I'm here to help and drink too much and be gassy at the theater. I will never forget that. They were so shocked and disgusted. It's the closest I've seen. I mean, to be fair, it smelled very bad. But it is the it closest I have seen to somebody actually saying, Well, I never. Uh-huh. That was like this close to society she, people. She, she may have literally clutched pearls. I think that is a possibility. Yeah, because it was a fancy event. Yeah. This musical at this fancy place. <laughs> ah, the theater. Sorry. You didn't seem sorry. So at the end of the issue, Deathstroke, he's been trying to track down Dick the whole issue. Hasn't been able to do it. Then he just gives up and decides, eh, five out of six Titans is close enough and says to Hive that he's got the goods. That doesn't seem like the Deathstroke way. Oh, I don't think the Hive guys are going to like that very much either. They had a contract, right? Yeah. Probably. Well, they had a well, they had a weird ambiguous contract that they had made with his son, and then when his son died, he was like, "Well, now I have to take this contract because you killed my son kind of indirectly." So that's kind of a weird setup to begin with, but also apparently the contract is you have to kill the Titans or not kill them. Deliver them dead or alive. Yeah. That's a kind of ambiguity that I don't think you often get with assassins. Did they, like, old phrase that contract to, like, appeal to catch-and-release assassins? Yeah, or just, like, bounty hunters. Yeah. We do see that Deathstroke is strangely wary of, like, civilian casualties, considering that he's an assassin. Because when he's shooting at Dick, he's like, oh, no, a civilian might get in the way. Can't shoot him here. That was confusing to me also, though, because the way that it was written was something to the effect of, like, too many civilians can't get a straight shot or can't shoot straight. Yeah. Like, sure you can. Just yeah. shoot through the people. Yeah. Like, this you're a like bad you're guy. A you're you're a, you're an assassin. Act like it. Yeah. Kill some civilians. I'm telling you, man, his, his sucker credentials are getting longer and longer. After he tries shooting at Dick and then abandons that plan because there are too many civilians... It cracked me up so hard that he was just running around Central Park in full costume in front of everybody. Whenever superheroes do that, but especially if it's like a subterfuge type of superhero, one of the things that I loved about the Batman comics in the 60s and 70s was that you would often see just Batman in full Batman gear, middle of the day, just walking around Gotham, taking in a stroll. Mm -hmm. Sometimes there was one time where he flew on an airplane, like, but just in his Batman costume. Oh, otherwise they'd know who he really was. Fair enough. But we see that Deathstroke is just running around in the park wearing his garish orange and blue costume. I know. And, and the civilians are all looking at him like, what the fuck? And he's like, whoa, what are you looking at? I know. I, that was 
cracking me up. I was imagining him, like, with his bad guy voice being like, Don't look at me! <laughs> Don't look! What? You never saw a guy wearing complimentary colors <laughs> with a face that split down the middle like I'm one of those aliens from Star Trek that was a very, very obvious analogy for race relations? Yeah. That's probably what he said. Probably. probably. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, just seeing Deathstroke in public, like, it's a cool looking outfit that he has. I really like his outfit as a swashbuckling superhero-y outfit, but for an assassin, it doesn't make a hell of a lot of sense to wear that much bright orange. Yeah. Or to just appear so conspicuous. If he just looked like a regular dude walking around, nobody would have said shit, and he probably could have tracked down Dick. Well, it's like his brand. Hmm. You know, he wants to get more business. Gotcha. So it's like a marketing thing. Yeah. Like, ah, that's the orange and blue or orange and black guy. Yeah. The practicality of his duds in general. Like. Good look, though. Yeah. No, it's an awesome look, but wearing that much chain mail. You'd have to. Seems like he'd be pretty, like, clinky. You know, walking around. It'd be worse than corduroy. You'd have to be at least 90% stronger of brain using than. Yeah, you would Somebody have to be that didn't 90% wear. stronger of brain using. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, what is what is his deal? I don't know, but I'm going to have to cut him some slack on his grammar. Uh, yeah, I should have thought that was true. <laughs> so he's like uh, he's stronger. 80% stronger, I guess. Oh, no, that's no. a ratio. He uses Because we use 10% according to this mythos. He uses 90%. So it's 80% more, more. I don't know how that math works. Like what the percentage more that he uses to get from 10 to 80. Yeah, but that's the brain stuff. And right. I'm just trying to solve how the chainmail chain thing works. Because he's stronger too. Right. But we don't know how much. That's. He's got better reflexes. And that's why I had that bad grammar moment. Uh, that's what I was trying to trying to sort out. It's a sticky wicket, huh? Corey, you may be a bad grammar, but not as bad as if you were a globetrotter. So when Dick is confronted by Adeline and Joseph, Mm -hmm. he does kind of a funny thing, which she very much goes out of her way to say, hey, we know everything about you and your situation. Mm -hmm. She calls him Dick, or do you prefer to go as Richard now that you no longer use the name Robin? Mm -hmm. She has confronted him in the Titan Tower and said that, and his response is, can't show any reaction. She's probably just guessing. Yeah, no, he knows in his heart of hearts what's going on. He's just freaked out. I'm going to cut him some slack. Okay. It is a surprising situation, too. How do you think they know all that information? Is Tara a triple agent? Is she also working for them? Like, I don't know how she knows. all. Like, we see that she's been spying on Deathstroke and potentially spying on Tara as well. But she doesn't have, like, an inside person in there. How does she know all that stuff? Yeah, she's probably got the place all bugged up. Maybe. How else? I don't know, because it seems like she knows things that it took Tara forever to figure out, and Tara was there the whole time. No, I think I think all of her information is... Obtained remotely through surveillance? Yeah, and, and most likely through Tara relates what she learns to Deathstroke, and then... Adeline spies on Deathstroke and gets that information. How much of a brain do you think Adeline's using? Uh, probably just regular, but she seems pretty sharp. Yeah. I'm going to say 93. She seems cool. Yeah. She smokes a lot. Well, it was the 80s. That's fair. 
I think that was like their shorthand for like competent, independent woman. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Virginia Slims, you've come a long way, baby. She has indeed. The artwork in this issue is fucking gorgeous. George it, Perez, man. Yeah, he's got a new inker on this. It's both Dick Giordano and Mike DiCarlo. And this is one of the first instances of an issue having multiple inkers that I've encountered where that is not a bad sign at all. It looks great. It's dramatic. The whole thing is dramatic. Yeah, dramatic and just like, yeah, really clean lines. And it's so cool looking and so well paced out. And there are all these little touches where all of the flashback panels have lightly rounded corners on the panels so that you can tell which ones are flashbacks. And it's subtle and you don't really notice it, but it makes it so much more clear what's happening when. It's something that has almost a subconscious effect when you're reading it. But it's so smoothly done. It also, uh, and we've touched on this before with these books, has that kind of like storyboarding of an 80s action show feel to mm-hmm. it. It's very easy to read the sequence of action and it seems very like a uh, fast pace and like something you would you would see in a film or a TV contest. Yeah, it's so good. It's really good. Yeah, this is one of my favorite issues to date. On the cover of the book, there's a, a thing that we've seen in a couple issues where it says, the new DC, there's no stopping us now. Mm-hmm. Which I haven't had the wherewithal to look up. Do you know what that's about? I think it was just their campaign slogan at the time. Mm. Marvel sucks. Buy us. More or less. Okay. Yeah, they couldn't be stopped. This is actually a couple years before you get to the Crisis on Infinite Earths storyline. I think that was like 86. So I think I was in sixth grade when that came out. Did you read any of it when it came out? Mm-hmm. Or do you remember it? Was it Superman crying? Yep, that's the Superman crying yeah. one. <laughs> yeah, that was a big deal, man. Yeah. Well, I mean, he was crying because the Flash died. Supergirl died, too. That's that's the one. Was there a cover where he's holding yeah, her corpse yeah. and he's all super sad? Yeah, yeah that he's made super it, sad. That made it, well. The, the Earth's yellow sun makes him super <laughs> sad. I know that. <laughs> I know that. <laughs> read comics, too. <laughs> I'm sorry, Corey. I didn't, I certainly didn't read those when they came out. I'm very young compared to some people. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> We're both old. Well, are you ready to get into the minutia? Sure. All right. Rick, would you mind singing us in? We got minutiae. It's not the biggest part. It's just minutiae. Like Corey eating farts, we got minutiae. Time to sweat the small stuff. Thanks, Rick. Corey, what was your favorite sound effect in this issue? I have a toss-up. Yeah? One made me happy, one made me sad. Okay. The one that made me happy was Beast Boy passing out and hitting his head real hard, which made the thunk noise. Uh Uh-huh. The other one was the overly complicated cyborg capture technique, Mm. where he gets zapped real good. Uh, Now, when you say zapped, I think you mean he got zapped real good. Yeah. Yeah, that's a Z, three E's, three A's, and three K's. I had that one as well. The only other sound effect that I really enjoyed in this was a uh, doorbell going off, which was ding dong. Very good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Ziak was the one that I made note of. Uh, I did also like the thunk of Beast Boy passing out and hitting his head. Mm-hmm. That was good. Mm-hmm. Sartorially speaking, which... Elements of style. <laughs> eh? Eh? Callback. Uh-huh. 
do feel are worthy of note. Sweet Christmas. I like Vic's Christmas-colored outfit. He's wearing jeans and a shirt. They're bright red and dark green. I think that is something that came up more in your reprint than it did in the original. I also had his look, but in the one that I was reading, he had what looked like faded green denim jeans on and more of a burnt umber uh, turtleneck. Either way, it's a good look. Yeah, in the reprint, it is bright green and bright red, and it looks super Christmassy. Oh, yeah. That is pretty different. Mm-hmm. Either way, it's a hell of a look. Mm-hmm. Cyborg, like, it's not a look that I could pull off, but Cyborg can pull off a lot of different looks. He's got a deep roster of turtlenecks that he can pull from, mm-hmm. and they all look great on him. And, like, thick turtleneck sweaters. That's oh, yeah. That's not a thing you see much of these days. But there was a lot of fashion in this issue. We have Adeline, for one, who is wearing a fur coat with a billowy pink blouse under it. Uh, She is chain smoking. In my mind, she was using a cigarette holder, but I don't think she actually was. Nope. But she's got kind of big gold hoop earrings and chunky gold necklace. It's a very distinct look. It looks very almost stereotypical early 80s divorcee. It was like visual shorthand. Yes, yes. Yeah, I, I made note of that as well. I think if you pronounce it French, div- like if you pronounce divorcee, then I think the wealthy is implied. Yeah, and another thing in her look that I took note of was her fur coat. And maybe it's the also the reprint coloring and the issue I have looks like some bizarre fake like red and black striped animal. Huh. Yeah, I didn't get that. I think I think the colors are definitely more vibrant in the reprint. Mm. Yeah, I think in the original, it looks more just like a regular fur coat. Mm -hmm. But she also has a weird, like, pom-pom on her head. Like, Mm. she's wearing some kind of a flower in her hair. She's a fancy-looking lady. She's a fancy-looking lady, but that weird accent in her hair looks like something that, like, she picked up at Claire's. You know? It it doesn't go with the rest of her outfit. It's a weird touch. It was the 80s. People were putting things on things all the time back then yeah it was an era of things on things yeah that's a good point feathery things and flowery things Mm -hmm. all the things neon things sure all kinds of things yeah we also have joseph's look which is pretty rad honestly you did not care for his mutton chops i kind of liked his mutton chops i don't think it was that bad a look he is a silly looking person okay fine but he is wearing a dope like tan mohair trench coat with a red turtleneck under it. And that's a pretty good look. It takes a confident person to pull off a look like that. There is one trench coat, though, to rule all the trench coats. And that's the green one that Dick is wearing when he has his sad float back to Titan Tower. It's a pretty good green trench coat. Big lapels. The biggest we got. It is. It reminded me of the fashion in the Blade Runner movies, which oh. were like people from the 80s thinking about, what is the future going to look like? We'll just have things look really big. Yeah. Lapels. Right, mostly. Angela Do you think that's the look that David Byrne was going for with that suit? He was trying to look like he was from the future? I I hesitate to speculate on David Byrne's motivations. I think that's a wise policy. Thank you. The only other fashion that I wanted to bring up was Dick's look that he has when he's just hanging around the apartment. Before uh, or after? The before, specifically, because it is like rich kid trying to slum it with greasers type of look. Because it's jeans and a plain white t-shirt and a leather jacket. So he's basically rocking the Fonzie look. But But it's a $300 jacket. I was going to say, it's a very fine leather jacket. Yeah. It's probably like a members only type thing. Yeah. But leather. But it does look like a traditional leather jacket. 
There might be little snaps and buckles on it. Well, for $300, I guess you better get all the snaps and all the buckles. Mm -hmm. Good point. Thank you. Okay, it's a members-only leather jacket. Either way, Dick looks great. Yeah, it's a good look. Yep. Well done. Pulls off a couple of good looks in this issue. Mm -hmm. Different jackets. Different Mm -hmm. times. Indeed. Corey, let's take this party to the Bozone. What instance of one character calling another character a bozo, either literally or metaphorically, would you like to highlight? I think, well, it is actually coupled with my other favorite thing that happened in this book, and it's that's Gar passing out and hitting his head. Uh-huh. And it's Destro busting in and calling him a vainglorious dolt. So good. I had the I had the same one. It's the best singer in this. And it's so perfect. It's what he is. It's he is a vainglorious dolt. And I'm sick of his shit. And Deathstroke's sick of his shit. And I think maybe yeah, you get your choice of dead or alive. I'm saying maybe you go with uh, five alive, one dead. Harsh. Just saying. But I'm very annoyed with Gar as well. Yeah. And so it was very satisfying to hear him called what he is. Yes. Every issue of a Teen Titans comic book has an Aqualad, the greatest of Teen Titans, and a Speedy, the worst of Teen Titans. Who did you have as your Aqualad? Who did you have as your Speedy? Going with Aqualad, I had Dick. Yeah, there's really no other choice. He does a wonderful job. He does some really good detective work. He's the only one who doesn't get uh, captured. He did have some strong competition um, in terms of effectiveness, though, with Terra. That's fair. Terra had a mission. She accomplished it. She's a giant jerk about it, but she did a great job. Yeah, I think we gotta perhaps hold off on giving her the nod over Dick, as I think, for one thing, she may no longer be eligible to be considered a Titan once she has carried through her betrayal. And also, we just don't know what her motivation is, who she's working for, what she's doing. Deathstroke, as we discussed earlier, pointed out, he doesn't know what the fuck is going on, so I don't know how we can be expected to. It really did muddy the waters. I don't see why that was really necessary to do either. I had really just assumed he was paying her to do that, and that it was she was motivated by money. She doesn't previously know the Titans, so I don't see how she could have vengeance be a goal. It's just kind of confusing. Mm-hmm. But regardless, Dick does a great job in this issue. Mm-hmm. Really liked him. Really, since he has stopped being Robin, he's been a really fun, really interesting character. Yeah. And I like him. Me too. Conversely, Speedy's Beast Boy, right? Garfield Logan's a piece of shit. There's no yeah. alternative. There's no alternative. There's no need to discuss it any further. He's a piece of shit. I don't like him. Corey, what was your timestamp for this issue? Ah, this was a challenge. In the 80s, did they have cinnamon-flavored envelopes? Exclusively! Okay, good. Then that's my timestamp. <laughs> That's they all I were got. all the rage. No, be, yes, when Beast Boy is licking the envelopes, he notices that they taste funny, kind of like drugs. He doesn't say that, but but he's like, where are the nice, hard-to-find cinnamon-flavored envelope glue? Mm-hmm. That's a weird thing to do. What? Lick an envelope? Have cinnamon-flavored envelope glue? They used to make them taste, like, kind of minty. Oh, yeah, I hated those. Uh-huh. I do not gross. like artificial mint flavor. I decided to go with, when Dick is falling into the trash, he says, 
I hope people are taking back their bottles and not just throwing them in the trash because he doesn't want to land in a bunch of broken glass. The bottle bill in New York was passed in 1982, so this was a fairly topical reference that it would be relatively new for people to be returning their glass bottles for a deposit. Curious. So, uh, yeah. The 1982 Bottle Bill Act in New York was my timestamp. Mm. Panels. Corey, what was your favorite panel? You inglorious... No, not inglorious. <laughs> you vain glorious dolt. Deathstroke showing up and calling uh, an unconscious beast boy a vainglorious dolt. It's also drawn really cool. It is drawn really cool. I had a similar one. I had an about-to-pass-out beast boy... Just looking high as fuck. <laughs> it's on the same page. It's page 20, I believe. Look at his eyes there. Hey, man. <sighs> Emily, my love, here's to you. Oh, the glue's been dropped. <laughs> what a vainglorious dolt. Ugh, indeed. Really, the whole issue is gorgeous. Uh, but the other one that I, I really noted was... Deathstroke jogging through the park and everybody reacting to him. The way that you would react if you saw a guy dressed like Deathstroke jogging through the park with a sword on his back carrying a fucking bow staff. There's a, a Kim pointing and looking at him and being like, Mommy, what the? Mm -hmm. And uh, and the mom's taking him back. There's a couple of couples and an old lady sitting on a bench who are just looking over at him and being like, the fuck is that weirdo doing? Mm -hmm. And it's just really a nice scene. I really enjoyed it. I had a runner-up also, and I'm kind of sad about it because I don't like what happened, but it was it was the scene when uh, Cyborg got zapped. That's really intense. It really is. It, it looks like he is being electrocuted, which, I mean, he is, but it is powerful enough that it rips his shirt and pants apart. Mm-hmm. And it's got all kinds of, uh, how do you describe that? Ener like Kirby Crackle? Kirby kinda. Crackle, yeah, yeah. It does make me wonder, maybe he is just really upset by that happening. And we had thought before that when he got mad, he tore his clothes off and leapt around. But it may be a side effect of his cyborg powers that when he gets upset, it just shreds his clothes. Mm -hmm. So maybe that's what's happening. Could be. I think he's getting zapped real good, though. I mean, he's definitely getting zapped real good, but I think him getting zapped makes him upset and then his clothes he's trained them now so they know to shred when he gets really upset man i'm so glad that doesn't happen to me i mean i don't get really upset that often but if i did and i was in public and all my clothes just <laughs> shredded off then i'd be uh, awkward i would feel awkward yeah well you don't have hydraulic legs you can't leap home immediately no i'd have to be like <laughs> oh i'm so upset and i'm cold and this doesn't and, calm and me down at all yeah that would be pretty unfortunate yeah Corey, mm -hmm. I am left with one final question I must put to you. In the year of our Lord, 1984, and the month of our Lord, June, Wapoot! What was Aqualad probably up to? I was afraid you were going to ask. Ah. Uh, Usually when we go through the internet and mm -hmm. look at what happened, there's a couple things that stand out and, you know, you can kind of stitch them together. A bunch of really... Kind of cool. Corey, you're really giving people a peek behind the sausage factory. Is it behind the sausage factory? Yeah, I think that's the phrase. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's how the, the sausage alley is behind made. the sausage factory. Uh -huh. You don't want to look back there. All right. It's gross. So anyway, there was lots of cool shit that happened, and I had difficulty sewing it all together. Mm -hmm. But here's my try. Okay. So, Aqualad, you know, 
It's just a lifelong learner. Yeah. Likes to read. Mm-hmm. He has a love, a lifelong love of learning. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Except when he's using fish to cheat on tests, but that's neither here nor there. <laughs> well, he hit his head pretty hard. That's true. So uh, he was reading about uh, DNA extraction. Oh. And yeah, it was actually early in the month on the, the, the 4th of June, 1984, when um, scientists, ostensibly, had first succeeded in extracting DNA from an extinct animal and cloning it. What was the animal? Nobody knows. Oh. And um, <laughs> it, it really got him thinking... And this coincided with him going to the movies. Oh. And the movie that he saw was Gremlins. Oh. And it got him so shook because he was like, holy cow, things are going to get cloned and it's going to be like Gremlins and I'm really scared. And he started to have one of these like kind of uh, panic attack. Really? Oh, no. Yeah. Fortunately, it was a double feature. And what he saw next was Ghostbusters. Oh. When he saw Ghostbusters... It scared the shit out of him. <laughs> like, that is a scary movie. He was terrified of aggressive ghost blowjobs from that movie. There's that Dan Aykroyd scene where a ghost gives Dan Aykroyd a blowjob, and it's terrifying. Mm-hmm. And Aqualad was really, really freaked out. So... <laughs> is that a segue, or are you just helping? <laughs> no, no. It's a segue. He was really freaked out, and he just couldn't go to sleep. Because he knows that if he goes to sleep, he's going to get a non-consensual blowjob from a ghost. Oh, jeez. And he doesn't want that. So he was staying up, and he was listening to some popular music. But because he was sleep-deprived, he misheard part of it. And it ended up freaking him out even more. Oh, no. He was listening to hit new song, Born in the USA, by Bruce Springsteen. Mm-hmm. And he was listening to the lyrics... And when it goes to the weird part in the chorus where Bruce Springsteen says, I'm a long gone daddy in the USA, he thought it said, ding dong daddy's in the USA. Oh no. <laughs> He's like, oh no, ding dong daddy down his back with his hot rod racing. Oh. oh no, this is terrible news. I need backup. I hear there are some new Teen Titans. I worked with them a little bit. I'm going to call Starfire. I bet she would be a good help with that. So he looked up in his Rolodex and he looked up Starfire, but it was the wrong Starfire. He called his old buddy Starfire from the USSR. Oh, geez. Who he had met back in the original Teen Titans series, uh, number 18. Remember that guy flying around? Yeah. And so he called him up and he was like, you got to help me. Ding dong, daddy's back. I learned about it in his Bruce Springsteen song. And Starfire was like, okay, calm down, man. I know that song. It's a really good song. At first, I thought it was super jingoistic, but it really isn't. You have to pay attention to all of the lyrics, not just the chorus. And Starfire really liked that song. It's mm-hmm. a pretty good song. Sure. Yeah. yeah. It was an uh, indictment of the treatments of, treatment of veterans returning from, uh, from Vietnam. But Ding Dong Daddy isn't back. He says, I am long gone daddy in the USA, which also doesn't make sense, but it's okay. Now, you need to calm down, man. Don't worry. Ghostbusters is just a movie. Ghosts won't give you blowjobs. Mm. Believe me. (laughs) So, what you need to do, here's how I've been calming down lately. There's this great new game that just got introduced in the USSR. Tetris. Mm. Here, I will send you a copy of Tetris. And Aqualad played some Tetris, relaxed, and was able to go, go to sleep, no longer afraid, that ghosts would try to give him blowjobs. 
And that is what Aqualad was probably up to. Whew, what a complicated month and Indeed. year. Indeed. Indeed. Quite a time in the life of young Aqualad. Mm, indeed. Quite. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Corey. And thank, thank you. And thank you for joining us, listeners. I hope you've been enjoying yourself. Me too. If you would like to get into touch with us, you can do so at ttwasteland at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook and Tumblr and Twitter at ttwasteland underscore. Um, if you would like to contribute monetarily, you can do so at patreon.com slash ttwasteland. I just posted a new episode of the monthly podcast that is available for our donors there. It is about Howard the Duck, and I co-host it with Lisa, and we just covered Giant Size Man Thing number four, and it was really fun. And yes, Corey, it has not every escaped time. my notice. Every time. Giant Size Man Thing is a very funny name for a comic book. Every time. <laughs> Yeah, but if you would like to get in touch with us, please do. If you would like to leave us a review on iTunes or Stitcher or your podcatcher of choice, I think that would be terrific, provided it's a nice one. If you want to say mean things, just uh, whisper them into your pillow at night. I think that's the best policy. <laughs> that poor pillow. <laughs> yeah. Well, don't, don't berate your pillow. I'm saying if you have mean things to say about me or our show, then just provide Still. that. The best way to go about doing that is to just whisper into your pillow... Oh, take up the defense made me so angry. They said mean things about you, ghost blowjobs. Do you want to be the guy, though, who, like, you ever hang out with somebody and they just have nothing good to say? Every no, time, that's why you whisper it into the pillow. How do you think that pillow feels? Corey, pillows don't have feelings. I'm sorry, but they don't. That's fair. I mean, I go out of my way to be polite to robots. I'm nice to Siri when I say things. I'm nice to Alexa when I say things. I always say please and thank you. I don't know if there'll be a robot uprising. Oh, but well, you say things under your breath. I've heard you do this. <laughs> not to robots. Mm -hmm. No. I think I've heard you mumble some pretty not nice things about Alexa. No. Corey, I am always unfailingly polite to robots. Androids, on the other hand. That's a different kettle of fish. Also, kettles of fish. Not a fan. That is an improper storage device for fish. Yeah, I never understood that one. Are the fish alive or not? Not for very long. Oh. They can't live in a kettle. They, they need um, fish food. Pillows <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> don't have feelings. <laughs> don't keep your fish in a kettle. You're this welcome. This is Up, signing off. <laughs> Good night. Wyclef Jean is in a Ritz Crackers commercial? Mm -hmm. When did this come out? It was part of a movie trailer ad. Like, the, the ads that go before the movie trailers yes. when you go see a movie. Yeah. And he's got like a parade leading man's uniform and a baton and it's all for Ritz Crackers. What? I know. What is Wyclef Jean's plan? <laughs> I don't know, but it terrifies me. What does he want from us? He wants you to buy Ritz Crackers. Yeah. Well, fair enough. Mm -hmm. They are pretty good. Yes. Very buttery. Mm -hmm. But they are unfortunately gone till November. What? How are they gone till November? I don't know. January, February, March, April, May. Wait.
Are you not supposed to eat Ritz crackers in Munster and in R? I see you crying, girl, but I can't stay. <laughs> what is happening, Corey? Or are you saying lyrics? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I thought maybe Ritz crackers were like oysters, and there were certain months when you had to avoid them. Yeah. Oh, okay. Fair enough. Uh, you ready to record? Yeah. Oh, jeez. Is it on? <laughs> <laughs> oh. Oh, lordy. All right. You ready? Yep. All right.